Sam, and good morning. Uh, welcome again to Christ Central. My name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad we can be together at this 1045 service. I'm glad you're here, especially if you're a first-time guest. We're really, really glad you're here with us. Uh, this morning, we're beginning a new sermon series in the book of Proverbs. We're going to spend most of the summer in this Old Testament book. We're going to have a few guest preachers uh, coming in during the summer, but for the majority of our time, we'll be in Proverbs together. There's not a lot of, of preaching done in churches these days on Proverbs. Uh, in 20 plus years of ministry, I've never preached a series on Proverbs. Uh, this is the first time in the life of Christ Central Church that we will preach a series on Proverbs. And I was thinking this week, I think since being a Christian, I don't think I've ever been in a church that's preached a series in Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs, along with the Old Testament books of Job, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, uh, are known as wisdom books. And the way that a person reads and studies the genre of wisdom in the Bible is different than the way one reads and studies a narrative, prophecy, a parable in the Gospels, or a New Testament epistle. Uh, perhaps this is why many people stay away from preaching Proverbs. Uh, reading, understanding, and preaching them, it, it's just different. As Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner wrote, he wrote, wisdom, it's not written to advance the story or to speak like a prophet into the story, or to cry out from the midst of the story. Instead, they have stepped aside for a few minutes to make observations about the story. See, wisdom writers make observations about life, and they give us insights into the realities of life. And as we all journey through life, and we take time to stop, observe, and ask questions about what we see, one realizes that life isn't simple. Life is not easy. Life is rarely lived in the black and white. It's more often lived in the gray. So much of life is genuinely confusing. So right in the middle of our Bible, we are given Proverbs, a book that acknowledges the reality that life is complex. And what we need more than anything is not knowledge or education, but rather we need to be schooled in wisdom. And deep down, I think, I think we all know this which is why we look to modern-day sages and teachers to lead us on the way of wisdom. Uh, just a few years ago, the DPAC, the Durham Performing Arts Center, was full of people listening to Jordan Peterson. You've heard of Jordan Peterson, a Canadian psychologist who now for years has influenced millions, especially young men, through his speaking and through his writing, calling people to a fuller life through living by a set of 12 rules. And Jordan Peterson is just one of many examples of looking to modern-day sages and teachers. We all listen to our favorite podca podcasts for insights into our world. We read our favorite op-ed columnists in our chosen news journals. We read our favorite cultural and sociological publications. We even listen to our favorite comedians, who I think are some of the most insightful people in our day. Right? All of these are people who, can, who, who we look to help us understand and navigate the complexities of life. People who can give insight into broader, complex questions like, how do we address poverty? How do we stimulate the economy and create more equity? These aren't easily answered questions. If so, we would have already found solutions. We also look for insight into personal questions that are more complex and not easily answered. Questions like, who should I marry? What job should I take? Should I move or should I stay in this city? We know they're not easy answers to these questions, but we ultimately have to make judgment calls, and prayerfully, they are wise. Wisdom 
It's not always easy to discern because there are often tensions or varying perspectives that affect what a wise decision might look like. What could be right for one person in one case could be wrong for another person in a different case. And so what Proverbs does is, is that it gives us varying perspectives on situations and issues that we might face in our lives. Let me give you an example of attention. Proverbs 26, verse 4, says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then right after verse 4, verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. I mean, you read that and you're like, what? (laughs) Which is it? Well, sometimes it's verse 4 and sometimes it's verse 5. I mean, life would be easier if it was black and white. If we could just do A, B, C, and D in any given situation, but life is complex, and so we need wisdom as we navigate life, which is why I'm excited about this sermon series because God has given us a wisdom from above in this book. And so let me make one more general statement about Proverbs before I read our passage in Proverbs 1. Uh, Proverbs, I think this will help us understand the book. Proverbs, it's written a lot like a puzzle. If you've ever read through Proverbs, one chapter might jump around on different issues and themes. It's not always driving home one central point. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take verses from differing Proverbs and we're going to piece them together in order to understand the whole picture on certain issues. So we'll look at themes and issues each week like work or friendship, anger, humility, money, sex, the tongue, just to name a few. This morning, I wanted to start by looking at Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 7, because I think it can give us a framework uh, for this series and help us understand the book of Proverbs uh, even more. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to give our attention to God's Word in Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 7. Listen to the Word of the Lord. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Isaiah tells us the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, I ask that you would speak to us, speak to our minds, speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, speak to our spirits, that you would fall fresh upon us, that we might hear and be transformed, not just in our thinking, but in our hearts. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you in this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can have a seat. I recently listened to an episode uh, of NPR's This American Life, and the the title of the episode was Kid Logic. It was an hour-long episode filled with stories in which kids employ kid thinking, especially the kid thinking that is perfectly logical but completely wrong-headed. I mean, funny stories of kids looking at something going on around them, observing it carefully, thinking about it logically, how one thing connects to the next thing to the next, and then come to the conclusion that is completely incorrect. One story was told by a therapist out of Texas, Eileen Goldman. She shared about a little girl riding on her first ever airplane. She was about four years old, and as the plane was airborne, she turned to the woman next to her and said, 
when do we get smaller? Because that had been her experience at airports, watching airplanes take off. As they rose into the sky, they really did get smaller. Kid, kids are amazing. They make surprising connections about things using uh, logic as they observe the world, but they, they can often come to the wrong conclusion. And it's not just kids who do this. Youth, young, young adults, older adults, we, we all grow up. We can often have the right information and we make wrong conclusions, even wrong decisions. And so we need wisdom. And the way of wisdom can help us navigate the complexities of real life. And so this morning, I want us to look at three things out of Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. I want us to look at the need for Proverbs, the purpose of Proverbs, and the foundation of Proverbs. We're going to look at the need, the purpose, and the foundation. Let's look first at the need for Proverbs. Most scholars think that Proverbs was originally written to young men who were training in the royal courts to become part of the kingdom of Israel. And the majority of the Proverbs are written by King Solomon, as verse 1 states. But Proverbs spread way beyond the young men and, and became the classroom for gaining wisdom in life for all of God's people. Now, the Bible doesn't lay out for us a definition of wisdom. Instead, like our passage in verses 2 to 6, it uses different terms. Did you catch the terms used? Instructions, guidance, discernment, wise dealing, discretion. Because wisdom is like a multifaceted jewel. It's like a multifaceted diamond. When you look at it from one perspective, it's discretion. When you look at, it, look at it from a different perspective, it's guidance. When you look at it from another perspective, it's prudence. Because the truth is, wisdom touches all of life. And life, as I've already stated, it's not neat and organized, but complex. And so wisdom guides us into the ever-changing complexities of daily living. Uh, one Bible scholar's definition of wisdom is this. It's that wisdom is becoming competent with regards to the realities of life. Another Scholar's definition is that wisdom enables us to cope with life and achieve what would otherwise be impossible. The book of Proverbs is really clear. We all need wisdom. If you, if you were to read through this book, the book almost shouts at us that if we don't get wisdom, if we don't fight for wisdom, if we don't think about wisdom, life will be a train wreck. And throughout the book, we read of things like wisdom, it's, it's more precious than jewels. Nothing compares with her. Wisdom, it's more valuable than gold. Over and over, it says wisdom is more important than money. Now think about that. Do you, do you really believe that? That wisdom is more important than money? I mean, how many stories have we read of athletes who were once millionaires but now bankrupt? Stories of people who won the lottery and became poor. 70% of people who win the lottery end up bankrupt. Stories of people who in inherit generational money but then spend it all. I would wager to say that if we were to examine any person's life, that, uh, the kind of crop I just gave, we would see somebody who is easily swayed by other people. Someone who doesn't listen and take advice from others. Someone who might consider themselves their own boss, their own counselor, you would see someone who thought money was more important than being wise, and as a result, life exploded. Wisdom is more valuable than gold. It is the beautiful, multifaceted jewel that helps us navigate the complexities of life, and we all need it. The second thing that I want to 
point out this morning is the purpose of Proverbs. Look at verse two. It says, to know wisdom and instruction and to understand words of insight. To know wisdom. Another way to define wisdom is applying what is true with godly skill. That's what a proverb helps us do. Apply what is true with godly skill. And it's to know instruction, or verse three, receive instruction. Now this word instruction can also be translated correction or discipline. To be corrected in the error of our ways is what a proverb helps us do. To discipline, it's not speaking of our personal discipline, but but discipline that one receives from someone who's above us. Like a good parent disciplines a child in the way that she should live. A parent corrects a child as he wanders out into the road so that next time the child might be wise and look before entering. Sometimes a parent might choose to allow a child to make a mistake so that through the mistake, the child is corrected in how they live. The parent could stop the child at every turn, but a parent knows sometimes that the best school of learning is the school of hard knocks. Now, brothers and sisters, we are the creation who live under a creator who has given us his revelation for life with him. It is his created order. But as Romans 1 tells us, anytime we exchange this truth for a lie, we are all in need of correction. We're in need of instruction, not because God is against us, no, but because God is for us. Like a good parent, God will correct us and discipline us along the way, and he will use his word to do so. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God will use his word to correct us. God will use the pain of confrontation from friends or the pain of confrontation from a spouse. God will use the mistakes we make. And the Lord knows we all make them. Because wisdom is often learned in the school of hard knocks that we wish it would come a little more easily. Now the key word in verse three is receive. To receive instruction, to receive correction. Because the true mark of wisdom is the ability to receive, which requires humility. Verse seven says a fool despises wisdom. Despises wisdom. With a fool, there's this emotional contempt a relational aloofness, a deep-seated pride that resists wisdom. Humility is the prerequisite for the school of wisdom. Without it, we play God, and we exchange the truth of the created order for a lie. C.S. Lewis wrote that in God, you come up against something which in every respect is immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God is that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you don't know God at all. And as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man, a proud woman is always looking down on things and on people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And this is hard for us to do because we have been schooled in the school of the world that has educated us our whole life to construct our world and life view by starting with the self. And then from the self, we move out into the world. What do I think? What do I feel? What do I need? What do I want? And then we construct our outside world by centering it on the self. 
And humility says, I'm not the measure of all things. I'm not the center of all things. God is. And when we are in this humble posture, that's when we can be open to correction. That's when we can receive instruction. And the second purpose of Proverbs is also seen in verse 2, where it says, to understand words of insight. This is the ability to think straight so we can walk in the way of wisdom. Now, throughout the book of Proverbs, uh, we hear of two ways. Two ways we can walk, the way of wisdom, the way of the wise, or the way of the fool, foolish way. In Proverbs chapter 9, it it personifies wisdom and folly as two women. Wisdom is this very elegant, timeless, and and beauty woman. Folly is this seductive, very attractive woman. In chapter 9, they both stand on either either side of the road of life, calling out to everyone, whoever is simple, let them turn in here and listen. I love how Proverbs personifies both wisdom and folly as two women. Now remember, initially, this was used with young men in the royal courts. And, And what I think Solomon is saying here is that the way of wisdom and the way of folly is not just a thinking issue but it's a love affair issue. The question is, what do you love? And folly is a life depicted with self at the center. It's a life turned in on the self, in love with self. Being called a fool in the Bible, it's not a put down. I heard one pastor call it a diagnostic. It is diagnosing what a person is in love with. Jesus called the very religious of his day, the Pharisees, he called them fools not because they didn't have Bible knowledge, not because they weren't schooled or learned. They were. They were fools because their life was centered on the self. Their world was centered on themselves and they had traded the truth of God for a lie. Becoming wise, it's not about us always having the right information, even the right theology. You can have right logic and come to wrong conclusions. Becoming wise is a matter of the heart. It is understanding when folly is running its course by having self at the center and then being wooed away from the self into a love affair with God. And until we have God rightly placed in our hearts, we will never think straight. Which leads me to my last point, the foundation of Proverbs, verse seven. Verse seven might be one of the Proverbs you've heard before. This is one of the mantras of this book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. Fear, it means reverence, awe. It's the worship of God. And it's the beginning, not the first step, and then we graduate from it. No, it's the beginning, meaning it's the foundation. In other words, the starting point of wisdom is always the worship of God. What the ABCs are to reading, what notes are to music, what numbers are to math is the worship of God to attaining wisdom. Fearing anything else, worshiping anything else is the beginning of folly. It is the greatest blunder. And as Proverbs said, it's a banquet in the grave. Wisdom is more than a pithy saying. It's more than getting an upgraded life. It is a matter of life and death. As Ray Ortland said, if we have love but not wisdom, we will harm people with the best of intentions. If we have many advantages in our world but not wisdom, we will squander them away. If we have courage but not wisdom, we will boldly make mistakes. 
If we have truth but not wisdom, we will speak rightly while looking ugly to other people. Right information matters, right thinking matters, but the heart matters most. And wisdom stands on the street calling out, inviting us into a love affair. And in Matthew 12, verse 42, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, and he says, the queen of the south, he's talking about the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus says, I am wisdom. Not just a great teacher of wisdom, he is the personification of wisdom. Ephesians 1, 7 to 8 says, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which he's lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Colossians 2, 3, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom is a person who wants our whole heart. And in Christ, we have the wisest man who hung on a cross. In Christ, we have one who died in the place of fools. In Christ, we have one who, though we might despise him, will never despise us. In Christ, we have one who humbled himself in death so that this broken world could be corrected. So do you want wisdom? Let Christ have your heart. Listen to him calling out to you. Allow him to woo you, gaze upon him, and your pride will melt away. And your your humility will increase. Look to Jesus and forsake the fool within. And may Jesus lead us all to worship our great God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as this happens, I believe that we will find ourselves not only growing in our worship, but we will also be growing on the way of wisdom. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would woo us to yourself help us to forsake the fool that lives within us all that wants to put ourselves at the center and, and by your grace and by your love and by your mercy Jesus would you reclaim your rightful spot in our lives so that we might know how to live in a very confusing and complex world Lord would you transform us we pray not just in our thinking but in our hearts it's in Jesus name we pray Amen.